in a seven-week series, and we're about to finish up. This is the last week. So we're looking at these seven churches. The book of Revelation begins with John, essentially Jesus' best friend, exiled on Patmos, has this massive vision of Christ, and he's told, I want you to write that down, and I want you to send it to these seven churches. These were real, actual churches. Write that vision down, but although it was written to them, it's for all of us, and so we're looking at the letter he wrote to each of those churches. That's how the book of Revelation picks up, and we're at our final church of Laodicea. So in Revelation 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, if you're reading in your own Bibles, but as always, I'll put it on screen so you can follow along as I read. This is the final church in this series, Church in Laodicea, Revelation 3, verse 14. He says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel, to, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a final church, and it's a doozy, so buckle up. So we're going to just kind of walk through. I mean, it's been helpful to me. Each of these letters has a flow. He acknowledges the church, gives them a picture of Christ, He commends them for what is commendable. He criticizes them for what needs criticized. And then he gives them a charge. If you're tired, man, I don't want to go through the same, you know, flow. Stop whining. It's church. But buckle up. It's the last one. Hang in there. We're almost done. All right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through that flow and see what God speaks to us. But first it starts with the church. The angel of the church in Laodicea been fun to study kind of the history of these. So Laodicea was kind of started by a Greek king, Antiochus II, and his wife's name was Laodicea, so he named the city after her. You're like, oh, that's sweet. They must have had a nice marriage. They didn't. He cheats on her with an Egyptian princess, so she murders him and poisons him with them black-eyed peas. So true story. That's how that went down, but that's the namesake of Laodicea. What you need to know about the context of this city is they were really wealthy. So think of kind of Manhattan, the Malibus. I mean, these are District 1 people. That's a Hunger Games reference if you didn't catch that. So these are the pretty, the powerful people. They are the rich. 
So Pastor Rick talked about in Laodicea how an earthquake leveled Philadelphia. I mean, we're only 40 miles away. It hit Laodicea as well. The city is destroyed. Rome and Nero says, hey, we'll give you money to bail you out. So they turn down all the bailout money and like, no thanks, we're rich, we got this. So they re, like that's on record. They just decide to rebuild their own city because they had such wealth. They were kind of, you know, trading routes crossed right there. Just like the Lodi outlets, the reason they put them there, right? It's this big interchange, right? People are traveling there, people spend money, let's make some money. That's what Laodicea was. It's right at these multiple travel routes, so they were a very wealthy city. There are two things that they exported. And it's important because as you dive into the passage, he's playing off of their major exports. And we've gotten to that each week. You know, last week Rick had Philadelphia. I mean, their major es- export of cheesesteak and cream cheese, right? Like, we, I'm kidding. That's our Philadelphia, but it's the best cream cheese on the market. I don't eat anything else. I'm talking about that, you know, now we're talking about, I'm just kidding. It's a different Philadelphia. So now here in Laodicea, they have two major exports. So one, it was a big medical center. That's where some of their wealth came from. And they had an eye ointment that would cure eye diseases. Very famous for this, exported all over the world. And if you remember the passage, you know, it comes up and we're going to dive back into it. But two, they had a big textile, they had a big textile market. So they had sheep there that were special sheep. There's sheep all over the world, but there was a significant thing about these sheep here, right? So just like there's squirrels all over the world, but there's special squirrels in Kent, right? What is, what's special about the Kent squirrels? They're black, right? I have mugs to prove it. So it's the same deal. I remember coming here like, what is that demon squirrel? That's, a, you know, like, that's the same type of thing going on in Laodicea. They were famous for black sheep and this, the city was actually named, they would refer to it after this famous tunic. You know, think of like Calvin Klein, you know. I mean, that's kind of this level and all the celebrities were doing, you know, like Calvin Klein commercials, like CK1. That's what they were doing Laodicea. It was like Laodicea, BC. And they would have this fancy black tunic that they export. That's what they were famous for, their wealth. They had everything with one issue. Water, which is essential to all life, they didn't have a good source of water. There were cities kind of six, seven miles away that they had to pipe it into. So they lacked water. I already joked about Philadelphia, so if you're from Philly, water. But since we're not in Philly, I'm going to say it right. Water. So they didn't have a good water source. And that's going to come into play to understand what's going on in this passage. So this rich city that had everything you needed What is the picture of Christ that they give this church? The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. See, this vision that John sees, he gives a different part of that vision to each church except here. This is kind of a summation of the vision that he sees in Revelation 1. One of the things that's shocking to me, this is Jesus' best friend. Like, they just live life together. Do you notice when John saw this vision of Jesus, he falls down dead, just overwhelmed. When's the last time you hung out with your best friend and you just fell down dead before them because you were amazed at their majesty? Like, you're just meeting them over there at Tip Top, and you're like, oh, Hank, 
You know, your glory overwhelms me. If you did that, you were making fun of your good buddy Hank, right? So how does John, who just walked with Jesus every day, all of a sudden fall down? Listen to me. John knew Jesus better than you did, better than you do, and he still needed a bigger vision of Jesus. You think God needs to fix all your problems. That is not your primary need. Your primary need is to have an encounter and have a bigger vision of Christ. Job, the most famous sufferer in human history, he gets peace not because God does all these things. That happens at the end. He gets peace because he has an encounter with the powerful living God. That's what you need more than fixing your problems. And so they get the picture of the words of the amen, the beginning of God's creation. That word amen sometimes is translated truly. Truly, truly. There's a lot of things that you think are true in your life. There's a lot of things that you believe. Many of those things are lies. What is the ultimate source of truth in your life? Is it Jesus, the great amen? Or is it what you think of yourself? When do we say amen? The end of the prayer. How you define yourself, how you feel about yourself, who has the last word? Is it what your parents, what the world, what you say about you? Or does Jesus, the ultimate source of truth, get the last word in your life? Let's interact with that Jesus who's far bigger than anything we ever could have imagined. So that's what he tells them about Christ. And then he dives into, all right, here's all the good things about this church. Let's look at the commendations together. Soak it up. This isn't a tech glitch. That's it. Of all the churches, this is the only one that there's nothing good to say about. Buckle up, it's going to be rough. Just go ahead and click. If you can make that noise, just go ahead and make it. Can you do There you go. It's going to be a rough Sunday. I'm sorry you came. We have free donuts, okay? He has nothing good to say about that. Nothing good about this church. How many churches, man, you're a church, but there's nothing good God can say about you. You're a Christian, but there's nothing good God can say about you. Whew. Okay, so I looked up the Greek word for Laodicea, right? The original language. I looked up. Here's Laodicea in the original you know, languages. It's the, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Do you get it? You're laughing. So I, don't fall for that again. Names are names. So Laodicea in Greek is Laodicea. If your name's Frank, it's Frank in French. Even if you say it all fancy like Frank, it's still Frank. So don't fall for that one again, all right? The reason, that's a horrible joke. I apologize. But the reason I do this is I want you to think about this. The worst church of all these seven is pretty much everybody agrees the one most similar to our context. If that doesn't scare you, then I'm, I'm not doing my job well, because it was meant to. Like, the church that God has the strongest things to say about is the one most like us. Let's look at the words of John Stott together. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic, we appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. 
let's keep going. All right, let's dive into the criticism. So what does he say about this church? Let's look at it together. This is the criticism. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. All right, we're going to get through this together. It gets better at the end, but hang on. So this is a famous thing, the Laodicean church, their faith is described as lukewarm. So again, that's a playoff of understanding their water supply. So just in sight, like seven miles, you could see another city where they had hot springs that had healing powers. They could see Colossae that had fresh, refreshing water. Both are good, but do you know what happens when you take a hot spring water and you pipe it in a 100-degree sun full of sulfur and high mineral content, and you pipe that thing seven miles, what's that water like when it gets there? It's lukewarm and nasty. You ever like real rank well water? You're like, whoo, okay, I need a bath from my bath. What? That's like this. It's gross. It should be hot or cold. This lukewarm faith that we're so tempted by is useless to God. Coming into the summer, I am a summer guy. I, this is like my favorite time of the year, heading into summer. You know, like heading into summer, one of the things, you know, in the afternoon, a nice iced coffee. Any iced coffee fans here? Oh, come on. I got a woohoo. Thank you. Now, no matter how hot it gets, who in the morning, like, has to have a hot coffee to start their day? Hot coffee fans. All right, hands down. Who here loves them some lukewarm tepid? Don't raise your hand. Because somebody's going to try to ruin my illustration. I like it lukewarm. Not today. You're not ruining my illustration. You're missing the point. Nobody. It's disgusting. It's not served anywhere. I want you to try that the next time you go to Dunkin' or Starbucks, right? You ask for coffee. They ask another question. Oh, can I have a coffee? You know, hot or cold. Ah, tepid. What do you got in lukewarm? Like, sir, that's disgusting. We don't serve it. Yeah, but I serve that to my Lord all the time. So I'm also drink my own brand. Give me what you got in lukewarm. What's been sitting on the pot for six hours? Why don't you go ahead and throw that my way? Because that sounds good. You're like, that's disgusting. That's the point. And we're laughing. <laughs> I guess it was funny. <laughs> but how much are we like that? How much of our faith to God is lukewarm? It's tepid. We're not passionately depending on them. Why? What's the reason they had a lukewarm faith? And then I want to look at God's response. The reason was they had resources. They were wealthy. And what happens when you're wealthy? I underlined it for you. You don't need anything. You don't need God. And you got a lake house. You got a nice car. Your car, you know, my car is a lease. So even if it goes wrong, they'll just give me another one. I have all these things. I don't have to depend on God. There's nothing I need. There's so many resources that we have. We're so affluent in our culture. What is the result? A lukewarm faith. Why? Because we don't, we don't need God. And this is a church. They believed in God. They desired to have a relationship with God. But they were lukewarm. God doesn't want you to just desire him to be a part of your life. He wants your whole life. 
God doesn't want you to just kind of want him to be a part of your Sundays. He wants you to desperately depend on him. If you want to be useful and pleasing to God, we are not self-sufficient. We realize our desperate need and we desperately depend on him. We have a faith where just that we wake up, the first thing that happens is we hit our knees because I know, God, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. How many days you make it to the end of the day? Man, I forgot to pray. Busy day. Pretty busy here in America, aren't we? We don't need God. My kids have had lots of surgeries. I was just thinking that today, man, it comes up like, what did they do? What did they do before they would just take them to a doctor that would fix them? They'd pray. They would like pray and desperately cry out to God. And you know what? I pray before my kids go in for a procedure but I got a whole lot of hope in them doctors, don't I? I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not anti-surgery. I'm anti-putting my hope in things that aren't worthy of all my hope. And so I pray, okay, God, you know, be with the, the doctor's hands. And I'm going to keep praying that. It's not bad. The point I'm making is there is a direct connection to wealth and resources and lukewarm faith. And here we are in one of the most affluent societies that ever walked the globe. If that doesn't scare you, it should. It's not cause and effect. Like the Bible talks about stewarding resources, stewarding wealth. We can do that, but there is a correlation. The more resources you have, the less you depend on God. And then we have a tepid faith where, yeah, we pray and we desire God, but we don't desperately depend on him. And that's where he wants us to be. Remember, like, this was the upper-class city. You know what that meant? These bad boys had indoor plumbing. Now, this ain't the time to be, ain't the time to be humble. I want you to be proud. You got a toilet in your home. Get your hand up. You guys don't. You got an outhouse or something. Use the neighbors. That's fine. Do what you got to do. You're like kings and queens. They excavated these houses. Compared to the area, they were massive, these houses. Some of them were like a 1,000 square feet houses. This ain't the time to be proud. Come on, baby. I'm going to get your hand up again. If your house is over a 1,000 square feet, get it up. Mine is. Come Stop. Put your hands up. Unless you live in an efficiency apartment, put your hand up. Guys, we'd be silly not to think with all our resources the temptation to have a lukewarm faith is right in our faith, right in our face. Because we don't need God. We got good doctors. We got money to help us get through these things. Those are false gods, and they don't ultimately give you hope. And you know one of the scariest parts is? There's a connection to affluency. And it doesn't even have to just be resources. I mean, that could be, you know, beauty, intelligence, wherever you're rich in resources. There's a great temptation to be lukewarm in your faith. You know what also happens? The scariest part is you don't know it. We can be delusional about it. Right after that underline, not realizing the real state. So sometimes we use our fluency in our nice house and we try to impress people with our nice clothes and do all these things. And we can fool other people. You know the scary part is? We can fool ourselves. I'm a somebody because I make a lot of money. Hey, I'm a business owner. I'm a, 
I, you see that car out there and you really can feel like you're a somebody not realizing your state before God is wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I pray that you have ears to hear and courage to be honest enough of who we truly are before God. And it is wretched. Some translations have that wretched. I'm kidding, they don't. I made that up, but it's close. Don't shoot the messenger, right? That is who we are, and that's the criticism. We don't realize our need because there's so many resources we depend on, and then we have a lukewarm faith, and what is God's response to that? That's our faith. What does he say? I will spit you out of my mouth. I've watched pastors do that, take a big drink of water and just spit on everybody. It's nice a master going away. We probably shouldn't still spit on people. Let's, let's keep that one in place, right? Every translator agrees that word is too soft. The real word there is vomit. But every translator says, oh, that word, it's too intense, so we don't want to put vomit, so we just put spit you out of my mouth. God looks at that half-dependence, prideful, self-sufficient faith and says, it is disgusting to me. I, it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> I almost debated showing the Indiana Jones clip where they get the dessert and it's like, do you have monkey brains? <laughs> I've been in India and I've eaten animal brains before. It's one of those, I wish you didn't tell me. I would have ate it, but now that you told me, now I know what it is. Now I know I'm eating brains. It makes it way worse. You should have just said, here's your dinner. It's gross. It's not just the flavors, you know, it's the texture. It's gummy. And so it's hard to swallow. You got to like really chew through it. And here's the thing. I'm not doing that to make a joke. Like that. Uh. God says, that's how I feel about lukewarm faith. It, it just makes me, it makes me nauseous. It makes me sick. And that's what we offer to God. And we don't know it and we pretend. It gets better towards the end. Come on, hang on. Here we go. So criticism. So what is the charge as we offer God this lukewarm faith? I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I mean, the practicals are right there. It's the last word on there. What do I do? Because how many of us, if we're on the scale of zealous to lukewarm, man, my faith's pretty lukewarm. He says, repent. Repent of your lukewarm faith. Repent of looking to the world to satisfy you. Acknowledge your true state before him. Acknowledge that all those things that you're chasing, that bigger house, the car, the whatever it is, that vacation, isn't going to satisfy you. Stop pursuing those things and come to me who I alone can truly give you what you're longing for. Repent of living for this world. How many people have massive bank accounts and are spiritually bankrupt? What do you want to be? In that rat race of being successful in this world. I was laughing about that. Yeah, I'm in the rat race. You know that makes you a rat, right? Let's get in a different race. 
but we're, we're thinking these things will satisfy us. If I get that promotion, or if I get that recognition, that newer car, more money, that'll satisfy me. Repent? No, it won't. That gold refined by fire, it's been through the fire. All those things will burn up and not satisfy you. Stop trying to cover yourself with all your resources and worldly things. Now remember, what are they famous for? Being rich? Their textiles, their garments, and their eye anointment. What does he say? None of that stuff is really going to help you. All your resources come to me to truly hear your, heal your spiritual blindness. Let me cover you. My son is in a fun phase. One of the fun things is he's horrible at hiding when he's in trouble. Like he comes out of his room like, I don't have anything behind my back. Don't worry, Dad, I don't have anything. I'm like, oh, okay. Then why are you walking like you just peed yourself and your, your hands behind your back? He also, it's very clear whenever he's watching something, we don't want him to watch. Like we're pretty strict about what he watches. So even like a Disney Plus, like, bro, you're four. Mandalorian's going to give you nightmares for weeks. Like stop watching that. You know, I know when he's watching something he's not allowed to. So he'll be on the couch with his tablet. And he just takes a blanket and pulls it over his head. <laughs> As if sound doesn't travel through blankets, and I'm not going to notice the pile of blankets where my son used to be. That's silly, isn't it? Is it? Is it that much more silly than you trying to get a fancy car to feel good about your life? For you to cover yourself in a fit body so you can feel okay? Is it? You being a workaholic so you can make some more money so you can feel like a somebody? I don't think it's that silly. I think we all do it. If we're being honest, we have that shame and we need to cover it. And most of us, because there's so many things in this world to distract us and cover us, turn to those things of this world cover ourselves in those things repent they're not going to satisfy you stop giving God this half-hearted worship in part of your life what he longs for you what is useful to him is you to give him we sing it all the time take every is that true does he take everything or do you give God this part of your life repent receive the discipline of the Lord so if you're going down that road, don't be surprised if God disciplines you living for the world. How, what do you discipline? How do you do your kids? You cause them pain to keep them from a, going in a certain direction. Don't be surprised if God causes you a little bit of pain to keep you from heading down a bad road. It's not that he hates you. That's the discipline of the Lord. You have these nasty wounds, and you cover them with these worldly things, and it's like an infected bandage. And God's saying, look, I'm going to rip that infective gauze off of that wound, and it's going to hurt. But I'm doing it because I love you, and I want you to experience true healing. So God may rip a job, a relationship, money, resources, whatever it is that you try to clothe yourself with, God may rip that from you, and it's going to hurt. But why does he do it? Those whom I, when I point to you, that's when it's your turn to speak up. Those whom I, those whom I, it's the love of God 
why he's causing you this pain to keep you from going down this bad road. The reason he does that and causes you that pain is out of love. And here's what I really appreciate about this passage. How does God feel about our lukewarm faith? It's disgusting to him. It makes him sick. How does God feel about you? He loves you. And he wants so much better for you. And even your kids, right? Like, who can frustrate you more than your kids? You just want to bang your head against the wall, but it doesn't mean you're angry at them. It's because you love them, and you don't want them going down these empty roads. And so I might, yeah, cause you a little pain to get you in a different direction. You know, one of my favorite things about this passage, this is by far the worst church. And that this church that just gets it all wrong, this bad church gets the most tender invitation from their loving father. Here's how it closes. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So yeah, God doesn't want this lukewarm faith. He wants to have a genuine eat with me that's fellowship and relationship. God wants to know you and to be you to be known by him. All of you. But he's not going to barge in. He's not going to kick the door down. God knocks at the door of your life. I had a friend, his daughter's a teenager now, and when they get in a fight, in her shame, she just runs and hides in her room. He says, I can't bring myself to just barge in and knock the door down. So as a loving father, what does he do? He just knocks. Hey, sweetie, can I come in? I know you're upset. I know you're scared. But if you would let me in, I can heal you. I can help you. I love the direction. This is pure gospel. It doesn't say fix up your life and come out to meet Jesus. In your shameful places, in the places you've closed off to everybody else, he just says, just open the door. Just let me in. You don't have to heal yourself. I can heal you, but you need to let me in. He will allow us to close off places in our lives from him. Some of you have done that your whole life. He's on the outside. I pray that today is the first time that you just let him in and acknowledge, I am not who I am. I am pitiable. Would you come in? But again, this is written to churches. All of us. I've got a couple locked rooms where Jesus is on the outside. Yeah, you prayed the prayer. He's a part of your life. But when you prayed that prayer, you went ahead and locked, okay, relationship with my kids. Yeah, my sexuality, that's mine. You stay off of that. Where are you closing God out of your life? Your health, your kids, what is it? And God's saying, I want all of it. I want to be in that room too, and you don't have to fix it. I will come in and heal you. A pastor that was teaching this was a professor, had a great story of before he was a professor, he was a pilot. It's a great story of making this illustration. I debated on telling in the first person such a good story, but you didn't realize I'm, I wasn't a fighter pilot, so it wouldn't have made sense. But it was as a pilot, he was teaching and learning how to stall out his plane. You ever see that when planes go up in the air and they, the engine cuts out and they spiral down? So he's learning to do that. 
So he does it once, and the second time he goes up, the engine cuts out, and he's in a barrel roll. And he said, I remember looking at the Chesapeake Bay, and my life was spinning out of control. And he was just spinning, and he was going to go to his watery grave. And he heard the greatest invitation he's ever heard in his life come through his earpiece. Let go. You got to let go. See, the pilot who was training him, it's like those student cars. He had controls up front, and he froze, and he was trying to just get through it. He's trying to sit, you're trying to save your kids and your marriage, and you're trying to grit through it and keeping God on the outside of it. And I want you to hear this invitation. Let go. Let him take control of that area of your life. Let him take control of your whole life. Would you surrender in that way and have a vibrant faith where we are desperate for him because he's our only hope? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to let go of the controls. And of course, it doesn't mean we do anything but to allow you to control our lives. And not just a part of it. God, I pray some people for the very first time would hear your knock, that they would open the door of their lives to you, that you would come into them and they would have a passionate, zealous relationship, not just respectable religion, but for all of us closed so certain doors off to you, our past, our shame, our finances, whatever it is. God, I pray that we would open the door and allow you to take control. Father, we surrender in Jesus' name.